0: Uh, Good morning to all of you who are here in the room with me this morning, as well as all of our New uh, new Lifers over in Whitehall. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, 26 New Lifers recently returned from Israel, where we just had a wonderful time exploring the Holy Land together. I think we saw and did and experienced about everything there was to do in the land of the Bible at a rapid pace. Truly, we ran where Jesus walked. And um, really, from 7.30 in the morning till 6.30 at night, we were going and doing and singing, but we didn't go to Israel to sit in the hot tub, I'll tell you that. So, We did and saw everything. We had a wonderful time. Our guide's wife said to him, why are these people paying you to torture them? And so uh, we, we uh, did it all. I wanted to share a few pictures um, I don't have enough time before I get started here to give you the whole thing or even show you everything we were, but uh, this will just give you a little taste. Here's our whole crew. Uh, we were There were 26 New Lifers and eight other people that were a part of our tour, and here we are on the Mount of Olives overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and uh, we had just a great group of people. Our guide is uh, there kneeling in the front. Uh, he was just tremendous and it just, just we had just a great time. Next one, uh, we started our first day on the Sea of Galilee. Here's a number of our crew there on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, next one, this just shows, again, you can't take Columbus people anywhere, <laughs> so, yeah. Next one, um, uh, here we are, this is uh, in uh, a synagogue, the remains of, a, I think, a second century synagogue there in uh, Capernaum, which was the hometown of Peter. We had the chance to be there to see the remains of what they believe was his house as well. Um, Next is um, a number of us uh, had a chance to be baptized in the Jordan River. That was a really cool thing. Pastor Claude and I got to do that. In fact, this next one, here's uh, Dalen Myrick, one of our own Claude and I, baptizing him there. And uh, then behind that, this next one, is. Uh, this is just to show you. Here's a picture of the Jordan River where we were able to do our baptisms. Really cool time there together. Uh, next, this is from uh, up on the Mount of Precipice overlooking the city of Nazareth. Uh, the Mount of Precipice is where they took Jesus up and they were going to cast him over, but he walked through the midst of them. We tried to reenact that with Janet, but she, she <laughs> walked right through the midst of us. Same deal right there. <laughs> so uh, there's that. Next one, this is also on that same mountain, but this is a number of us with the Jezreel Valley behind us, which is the site of many, many battles over the years uh, there in the Jezreel Valley. Next is, um, this is Caesarea by the sea. That's the Mediterranean Sea right there. We had the opportunity to go there and to see just that whole amazing complex area. This next one there in Caesarea, This is actually uh, the arena where Paul uh, reasoned before Felix there in uh, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 24. You remember that's when uh, Felix said to him, do you suppose that you persuaded me to be a Christian just in this little about a time? That happened right there. We got to stand on the exact spot uh, where that took place. This next one there, this is in Caesarea as well. That's actually the prison that housed Paul before he was uh, sent off to Rome there at the end of the book of Acts. Next, Um, this is uh, up uh, in Masada. We had a chance to go there. For those of you who know your history, Masada was where after Rome was destroyed, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. This is where the Roman armies pursued uh, the Jewish forces and ultimately their last stronghold was overtaken there in 73 AD, right there in Masada, they, they formed a siege ramp, and that's what enabled them to finally break through, and uh, we, you know, the siege ramp is still right there, and we had the chance to see all of that. Next is, um, this is Engedi. this is a favorite spot of mine, Engedi was where uh, David hid from Saul, when, or, or yeah, when he was pursuing him, and you can see the caves up there where David, you know, was actually able to, to f- have fortress, to be able to hide away right there, Uh, in in Getty. The next one, why this was such a significance, because there's water there. You realize in the desert how significant being by water is, and uh, this was the actual spot. We had the chance to be right there where David would have hidden with his forces while Saul was pursuing him. Uh, Next, uh, this is the Dead Sea. A number of us got to uh, float in the Dead Sea. You float in the Dead Sea because the uh, salt content is so extremely high. In fact, you could just scrape your hand along the bottom and And there's salt crystals you can literally just pick right up off the sea there. It's kind of like swimming in motor oil. That's kind of what it felt like. So (laughs) it wasn't a great time, but it was an experience, right? And uh, many of us got to do that together right there in the Dead Sea. So that's that one. Next one is uh, here we are on the Mount of Olives with uh, the city of Jerusalem there in the background. Next is... uh, Janet rode a camel up there on the Mount of Olives. You know, you can ride a camel at the Ohio State Fair, too, but why not do it on the Mount of Olives? I mean, really, you know, so. A number of our people took advantage of that. And then next, I put this slide in there because, you know, that is looking from the Mount of Olives towards the city of Jerusalem. That is the Eastern Gate. And you'll notice it's sealed because um, the next person to walk through that will be Jesus. And when he returns and touches on the Mount of Olives and walks into the city, through the eastern gate that's sealed. There's a Muslim cemetery that's put right there in front to keep the priest from being able to walk through, the Jewish priest. But you know, that's not going to keep Jesus away, and he's going to walk right through there, through that eastern gate. And so how cool to be able to look out and see that sealed gate that one day will be unsealed when our coming conquering king uh, will return. Next one is, um, uh, this is, we had the chance to walk down from the Mount of Olives on uh, the path that Jesus rode a donkey on there on that first Palm Sunday, we were able to walk down that. Picture the crowds right there on the side proclaiming Hosanna, just like we did a little earlier today. Next is, um, uh, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus agonized in prayer. We had the chance to be there. Next is um, this is at the Western Wall. This is one of my favorite pictures. George Archibald took this picture. That's Pastor Claude there on the left and Don Rowe. On the right, we had the chance to pray there at the Western Wall and to put our prayers in the crevices and cracks that are right there at the Western Wall. Next is a picture of just our whole crew there at the Western Wall in the city of Jerusalem. Next is, um, uh, Lindsay keeps showing up in the front of that because she had the selfie stick. That's (laughs) that's the whole deal with that. If you keep wondering, how come she's always in the front? This is, uh, this is really cool. This is the steps into the temple area on the western side. These are the actual steps that Jesus stood on. The disciples stood there. We had a chance to stand there and sit there. In fact, these are the steps that uh, the Jewish priests, you know, if you read in the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent, where uh, the Jewish priests would read those Psalms, quote those Psalms as they would walk up each step. You know, how cool that we got to literally stand and sit right there, congregate together there. Next one is, um, we went to Bethlehem. This is the Church of the Nativity. That spot marks where history and tradition says that actually uh, Jesus was born right there. They built a, they built a uh, church on top of it, but that, that's it right there. That's, we had to each had the chance to pray, to kneel and pray right there at the spot where our Savior came. That marks that. Next uh, uh, there's uh, Janet, we were up on the Temple Mount, we got to go up there together, uh, we were able to do that, you'll see the, the Dome of the Rock, this is the area where the first uh, and second temples really were. were, right there, right now, that's the Dome of the Rock, it's a Muslim building, but inside of it is the rock where we believe that Abraham offered Isaac, right there, and again, where the, the temples, uh, were, they set right there, we had a chance to be up there together. Next is... Um, uh, this was really cool, we got to do the, the, the Passion Walk, the Via Della Rosa, uh, the, the path that uh, Jesus took uh, when he carried his cross uh, towards his place of, of execution, and uh, we got to walk that together, and that ends at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher, uh, which uh, many believe houses the tomb uh, where Jesus was buried, where uh, all of that took place there. Uh, After that, we went to the garden tomb, which uh, others believe, no, this is the spot where Jesus ultimately ended up, and that's where he was buried, and that that was the tomb. And uh, then this last slide I wanted to put as the last one, because this is the sign in the tomb. And, uh, you know, that's, I think, what really points out. We didn't go to see a bunch of sights. We went because we worship a risen Savior, right? Who died in our place for our sins on the cross, but did not stay dead, but rose, Uh, proving that he was who he claimed to be, and so that's why we went. And uh, boy, it was just such a wonderful time. Thank you, those of you who prayed for us. Uh, Again, we just had such a wonderful experience, and very enriching, very impacting. I know even just reading the Bible, since these places, you have a visual for where each of these aspects took place, such a rich land, and so thank you for praying with us. If you ever get the chance, boy, I'd encourage you uh, to take it. Uh, to be able to go to Israel. It really was impacting. Well, if you have a Bible or a device with you this morning, let me encourage you to open it with me to the book of Matthew chapter 14. You may also want to reach in to your worship folder and you can pull out the message notes here, which has uh, the passage from Matthew 14 that we're going to look at together, as well as a bunch of blank lines on the back where you can... uh, jot down some things. I'm going to share a number of insights and observations from this passage, and uh, if any of those hit you, you can write those down, or any personal reflections, you use the back to do so. But one of my favorite places uh, on the trip was the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to deal with a story that deals with the Sea of Galilee and all around it. This is uh, uh, Pastor Claude and Jenny and Janet and me right there on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, over my shoulder is uh, the place of Tabga, which is uh, where, uh, you, you can go to this next slide, uh, there, there it is, and there's our crew kind of wandering around there, where uh, this story would have taken place, where the boat would have landed, and uh, where uh, Jesus would have done healing all day, followed by just shortly from there, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, right there in Tabga, and uh, here's another one just to kind of give you the picture of the water. You can see it a little bit clearer in this one, but uh, we're going to deal with that today. So if you got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 14, uh, let's kind of just work our way through this story. It says that when Jesus, verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place, to Tabka, right there. And hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. The incident that Jesus heard about that's kind of started this is John has just been beheaded. And so Jesus is discouraged. He's sad. He's grieving. And so the natural tendency for any of us would want to be alone to withdraw at that time. And so Jesus does so with his disciples, but when the boat lands on shore... What's happened is the people have followed him around the Sea of Galilee. They've picked up other people in the towns, and instead of being a solitary place, there's a whole bunch of people there, needy people, people who've come with all of their issues needing to be healed. And so Jesus seeing this crowd of people has compassion on them he feels compassion towards them. I love what Lloyd said last weekend if you were with us. One of the things I wrote down that he shared was that compassion isn't a feeling, it's an action. And so that's what happens here. Jesus feels compassion towards them and he does something in response to that. You know it's not enough just to feel, right? That's why I think some people come to church. They they like feeling things. You feel something during the worship, or you feel something uh, during during the Lord's table, or, or when God's word is read, but then we go away and we don't do a darn thing about it. It's not good enough, is it? Compassion, feeling something should move us to something, and sure enough, that's what happens to Jesus here. He feels compassion towards these needy people, and so he spends the day healing them, meeting them in the middle of their needs. But i got to be honest, too often for me, I'm just so caught up in my own plans, my own ideas, my own circumstances that I don't even notice the people a lot of times or their needs, much less make the conscious choice to put these people ahead of my own comfort. But not so with Jesus. Even though Jesus is tired, even though he's discouraged, even though he's tapped out, He feels compassion towards these needy people, and he spends the day meeting them in their need, healing them. Which I think raises the question for all of us of this. Who is it that you feel compassion towards? And I think maybe even more importantly with that, what are you doing about it? It's not enough just to feel something. What are you doing in response to that feeling of compassion? Well, it says as the story goes on, verse 15, that as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Now, the disciples were being very practical here, right? I mean, some of them were thinking ahead. They were the planners in the crowd. I mean, God blessed them, right? They were thinking ahead. And they're thinking, hey, we better break these things up. These people, you know, have got to get back to their towns, to their villages. We're in the middle of nowhere here. Some of them, you know, will will be overtaken by by their hunger if we don't do something about this now. So, hey, let's break this up. They come to Jesus. We better disperse this crowd. But Jesus had a different plan, which I think leads me to this observation. And it's this, that sometimes God's plan isn't the practical one. Now, that's a good word for those of us who are pragmatic. There's nothing wrong with being pragmatic. There's nothing wrong with planning. But let's never forget, sometimes God's plan isn't the practical one. And so, verse 16, Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, can we just be honest here for a minute? I mean, what a ridiculous thing for Jesus to say, right? I have written in my Bible next to verse 16, ridiculous verse number one. We're going to see a number of ridiculous verses in this account, but here's the first one. Hey, you just feed them. So, in verse 17, the disciples respond, well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. I think that's an interesting verse, an interesting response here, because it does show that somebody had already taken inventory, right? So my observation here, again, about this is that obviously none of these people were Boy Scouts, right? I mean, they didn't come prepared. (laughs) Just one little kid with a sack lunch, right? But probably more likely was the case that there were probably some others there who had some food. I mean, it couldn't have just been one, right? but they weren't willing to share. Now, in fairness, I think most of the people wouldn't have come prepared because it's not like they had planned this. This was a spontaneous thing that had taken place. Jesus had gone away. They were so desperate to to see Jesus, to have them meet him in the midst of their need that they had pursued him, that while he floated across the Sea of Galilee, they walked around the Sea of Galilee in order to get to where Jesus was landing, you know, it's not like they had tickets two weeks in advance, you know, Jesus healing in Tabka, be there at noon on this, I mean, it wasn't that kind of thing, it was a spontaneous thing, they had pursued him there, and so obviously many of them wouldn't have brought things, they were so desperate to get to Jesus, but there was this one boy scout who had brought a lunch, just five loaves and two fish, likely small fish, small loaves, you know, just enough for one. But I can't help but think about those others, however few there might have been, who weren't willing to share and how they really missed the blessing of seeing God use them. You see, when, when we don't step into the opportunities that God puts before us, we are the ones who lose. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss the opportunity for blessing. So think with me for a minute. Why, why do you, What do you think? What do you suppose these people didn't share? I'm, I'm sure for, for some, it was just they were so self-preoccupied, right? I mean, hey, I, I prepared. You, your lack of preparation isn't my problem, right? I mean, I, I prepared. <laughs> it's not my fault you didn't, right? So they were so caught up in their own... World, They just didn't see how others might have needed what they had. Probably for some, it was fear. You know, I mean, I've got this. If I, if I give you what I got, I, I, might have, I might not have enough, right? And so whatever the reason, I have to believe that there's some people here who just didn't share. Now, some people interpret this passage here to be that really what Jesus did here the miracle was just that he got people to share with each other, their food with each other. And you know what they'll say is, hey, if we all share, then there's more than enough to go around. But I, I, I don't buy that. I don't think the text here, I, I think it suggests more than, than that the miracle was that Jesus got a bunch of Jews to share their food with each other. I think there's more going on here than that. But I do believe that there were people here who had food, they just wouldn't offer it up to Jesus. They were too focused on themselves to think how others could benefit from what they have if they would just be willing to turn it over to Jesus. And so let me ask you, here you are, let's fast forward 2,000 years. Is there anything you aren't offering over to Jesus? Because maybe you're too self-preoccupied, or because you're too afraid, or for whatever reason, is there anything you aren't offering over to Jesus? Well, verse 18, Jesus says, bring them here, those five loaves, those couple, or those uh, loaves and fishes, bring them here to me, Jesus said. Which leads me to this observation, this is worth writing down, (laughs) When we'll bring the little that we have to Jesus, he will use it beyond our wildest imagination. You see, it's not the bigness of what we have to offer. It's the bigness of God's power. Some of you are thinking, but but I, I just don't think I have much to offer. See, that's not the point. It's not the bigness of what we have to offer it's the bigness of God's power to use that and if we'll just offer the little that we have to Jesus he will use it beyond our wildest imagination and so verse 19 Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the the two fish and looking up to heaven he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people i mean notice here that jesus broke the loaves and the fish see you have to break things up in order to multiply impact i mean what if jesus hadn't broken this stuff up in order to disperse it. What if Jesus hadn't have broken it? Well, it would have been enough for one person, right? But you have to break things up in order to multiply impact. Some of you are in small groups right now, and you're struggling because the size says we really need to multiply. But you're afraid, and you're comfortable with each other, and it's scary. Here's what you need to keep preaching to yourselves. You have to break things up in order to multiply kingdom impact. Every now and again, I hear somebody say around here, why do we we have to keep planning these churches, these campuses? Why do we have to do that? I mean, we like things here. We're comfortable the way it is. It's because you have to break things up in order to multiply impact. Well, here's another observation that I I, think is interesting in this story. Verse 19, did you notice that that Jesus used the disciples as a part of this miracle. I mean, he could have just taken the stuff and handed it him to himself, couldn't have he? But instead, did you notice, Jesus hands it to the disciples, and then the disciples handed it to the people. That's because Jesus wanted to let the disciples be a part of seeing God work. Here's what you need to know. Revelation. God doesn't need you. So get over yourself, okay? But he does want to use you if you will allow him to work through you. And so Jesus works through the disciples. He gives to them. They give to the people. God does this miraculous thing. Verse 20. It says, all the people ate, and they were satisfied... And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. I mean, 5,000 men plus the women and the kids ate, and there was more left over than Jesus started with. Here's what that tells me. It is never a supply issue with Jesus. Now, I think this is a good point. I want to talk about money for a little bit. And I know people get funny when you talk about money. But I'm going to do it anyway, okay? Because I think there's a couple points here that are worth holding on to because it's never a supply issue with Jesus. The first thing is this. It takes kingdom-sized cash... To accomplish kingdom-size advancement. And so for that reason, we unashamedly ask you, if you're a ministry partner here, if you're a regular attender here, now if you're just visiting with us, you just tune me up. Think of something else for the next minute or so. But if you're a ministry partner here, if you're a regular attender here, we unashamedly ask you to give to advance God's work. And that isn't because God does, it isn't because God needs your money, okay? It isn't because this church just wants to get into your pockets. That's not it. I have a friend, Roy, who had a a friend who was Jewish, and he had kind of lost contact with him. A friend he had talked to about Jesus, witnessed to uh, several times, and and, uh, he lost contact with him, and he met up with him. And his friend, he was happy to find out, was going to this local Baptist church down the road. And and Roy was so pleased with that. He said, "I'm, I'm just so thrilled. And his friend said, oh, man, I am learning so much. And, 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 and uh, this is just so good. I'm so glad we're doing this. And Troy was just so elated. Then he ran to him again a couple months later. He said, hey, how's it going? You still going to that church down there? He said, oh, no, man, those crazy people down there want, want a dime out of every dollar I make. <laughs> See, God, he missed the point. It's not that God needs your money. It's not, it's not that the church wants into your pocket. It's this. That God chooses to use us as part of his multiplying kingdom advancement work. And when we don't get on board with that, we are the ones that lose. We miss the opportunity of seeing God work through us. And I'm going to say this too. Again, it's not a supply issue with Jesus. Hear me on this, friends. If you are struggling financially right now, here's what you need to get your arms around. The problem is not that Jesus has a supply issue. Now, there might be a dependence bottleneck going on. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. You need to for sure look at that. You need to evaluate that. And and I'm not talking about some ridiculous prosperity gospel heresy thing here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying this. It's never a supply issue with Jesus. He can feed 5,000 people, 5,000 men, plus the kids and the women, and have more left over than he started with. It's never a supply issue with Jesus. Well, Jesus sends off the disciples He spends time praying alone, in fact, most of the night. Verse 22, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and to go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. We're told in the next verse, and and in a parallel passage, that the disciples were out there alone as well. That there was a great storm out there. And as a result, the disciples were struggling. They were scared alone in the midst of the storm. Which leads me to this observation. That sometimes Jesus' plan for us includes difficulties and troubles. See, we have this silly notion that if I'm struggling, I must somehow not be in God's will. But I don't want you to miss that in this story. The disciples did exactly what Jesus told them to do. They they were exactly where Jesus told them to be, and yet, right, were being exactly where Jesus told them to be, doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. They were struggling. There was a storm. Sometimes storms are part of God's plan for us. Even sillier, this notion we have is that somehow that if God loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this difficult time. But tough times come to Christians, come to believers who are right in the middle of doing exactly what God wants them to do. That's part of his plan for us. Sometimes we have a crisis of faith because of the tough times we're going through or the difficulty or the loss and all the things. But sometimes the storm is part of God's plan for people who are doing exactly what God wants us to do. Tropical storm winds blow in the lives of Christians who are right in the center of God's will. Part of, I think, what God's doing in the midst of that might be to teach us to depend on Him. You see, we depend on Jesus to supply all of our needs financially, right? We depend on Jesus to take care of us through the rough times. We depend on Jesus to be in control when my life feels so out of control. We depend on Jesus to make a way when there seems to be no way. We depend on Jesus to give us what we need, when we need, when we need it, as much as we need. It might not be what I think I need. It might not be as much as I think I need, but we depend on Jesus, right? And when there's a discrepancy between, I think, how things ought to be and how things are going, you know what we do? We depend on Jesus. That's what we do. And so, verse 24, it tells us that the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, and it was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. There was a storm going on. And then verse 25 says this, shortly before dawn... Jesus came out to them walking on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee. I have in my Bible written by that ridiculous verse number two, right? Now, I mean, it just states it so matter-of-factly, like it was saying, and then Jay walked over there and got a tissue and came back. I mean, there, you know, it just, it just says it, and, and that probably says something about Jesus and his power and his perspective versus ours, right? Because you see walking on no water, walking on water is no big deal to Jesus. Doing the impossible is no big deal to Jesus. Feeding 5,000 people with a boy's sack lunch is no big deal to Jesus. And working out whatever mess I've got going on in my life right now is no big deal to Jesus. And so verse 26 says that when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. That's ridiculous verse number three right there. Because I want to tell you 100 times out of 100, 100% of the time, I'm going to be afraid in that scenario, right? Right? I mean, the storm's blowing, I'm struggling for my life, there's someone walking out on the water, I'm going to be afraid. But you know what fear is? Fear is just simply this. Fear is what we do when we aren't relying enough on God. Anybody ever guilty besides me of that? Why is it that we're afraid to multiply our small group? Why is it that we're afraid to leave the comfort of our church campus and step into the hard work of a new campus location? Why is it that we're afraid to host an IFI student like we were challenged to many of us a few weeks back? Why is it that we're afraid to step into something to minister to the needs of our city like jay o'brien challenges to just several weeks ago why is it we're afraid to bring the name of jesus up to a lost friend or coworker or a family member like ed travis challenges to just 3 weeks back or a couple weeks back why is it we're afraid to extend ourselves to the needs of the poor like lloyd challenges just last weekend Why is it we're afraid to to step out and to work with children or or with students or to to step into some new ministry area? God speaks to my heart, and, and I talk myself out of it because I'm afraid. And here's the truth of the matter when that happens. It's that I just don't trust God enough. Now, I'm sure here's what some of you are thinking. Hold on just a minute, Jay. I mean, some of us did those things. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we did multiply our group, and it, it, didn't, it didn't last. We did step out to go plant a church or to be a part of a, of a new site, and it didn't last. Uh, I, I stepped out to do some ministry thing, and it was terrible. And I want to just remind you That sometimes tropical storms wind blows in the lives of Christians who are right in the center of God's will. That sometimes the storms are part of God's plan for us. See, we have this misguided notion. I have this misguided notion. That everything is always supposed to be smooth waters and work out just so swimmingly all the time for me. It's because my faith is weak. It's because often I'm more in love with me than I am with God. And if I'm honest, most of the time I'm more worried about my comfort than I am God's glory. And so I let fear control me instead of trusting God to provide what I need when I need it. Trusting God to work it out for His good and His glory. Not necessarily my comfort, not necessarily the way I think it ought to be, but trusting God to work it out the way He wants it to be for His glory And providing whatever I need along the way. And so, that's what's going on here. But this bright spot happens in verse 28. Peter speaks up. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got down... Out of the boat, and he walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. What Peter does is he pushes his fear aside and he takes a courageous step. Now, normally we we rush too quickly to verse 30, where Peter starts to kind of realize what's going on and his fear starts to dry up and he starts to sink but stay with me here in verse 29, okay? And just dwell on this, that what is happening here is Peter takes this step of obedience to Jesus. Jesus says, come. And Peter obeys. And wow. For just a little bit, He gets to experience the incredible happening. You know, I I think living the Christian life just boils down to this. It's this ongoing pattern of consistently trying to identify what's the next step you have for me, Jesus? And then being willing to have the courage to take it. Now, don't get too... Far ahead of yourself, because here's what a lot of us do. Okay, that's the next step, but what, what about for the next 10,000 steps? <laughs> you know, Jesus, what, what's the plan for the next year? Don't, don't, get, don't let that happen, Jesus. Just What's the next step? What's the next step you'd have me to take, Jesus? And then asking Jesus to give us the courage to just take that single next step. For some of us, that might be some really big, scary step. And maybe for some others of us, it's a seemingly small step. But you see, the size of the step isn't the issue, is it? It's our willingness to take it. Bob Swaggerty, who was with us earlier in the summer... Bob Swaggerty was sitting here, and he heard God starting to speak to him about being willing to take the things he was doing in ministry here and to go to India to reach the Indian people with the technology and the gospel through radio, things that he knew here. That was the next step for him, and thank God he took it. Maybe it's that kind of step for you. Or maybe for you it's as simple of a step as just choosing to become a ministry partner here instead of just somebody who's here with no connection or no commitment. Maybe for you, it's it's just coming to that next new life class in order to take that step, potentially, of becoming a new ministry partner. Maybe for you, it's getting baptized, that class just coming up here in a couple weeks. You've never done that. You know Jesus as your Savior, but you've never obeyed him in that area. Maybe for you, that's the next step. Maybe for you, it's... God's calling you to sell something you got that's just laying around the house that's collecting dust and to sow that money into kingdom advancement. Maybe for you it's just to start giving something. Maybe for you it's to stop tipping God when the offering bags go by and start becoming a disciplined percentage giver. You know what I mean by tipping God, right? You know it's been a good week, here's a 20 God, you know that kind of thing. Maybe for you it's moving beyond the sporadicness of that to becoming disciplined in your approach to giving. Maybe for you it's getting into a small group instead of just talking about it. Maybe for you it's blowing the dust off of your Bible and starting maybe again to try to form that practice of just reading God's Word daily, setting your alarm to get up a little earlier so you can... Hear God speak to you through his word, and you speak to him through prayer. For you, maybe it's talking to someone about some ministry aspect that God's been tugging on your heart about, just dipping your toe into the water. Maybe it's speaking up to some friend about Jesus, just bringing up his name. Scares me. I, I, what maybe for you, that's that next courageous step. Maybe for some of us, God has planted a dream in your heart that seems so ridiculous that you're embarrassed to even to talk to someone about it. And maybe it is. I mean, sometimes people come to me and they'll talk to me about things. They, th- they think maybe God's planted this dream in their heart, and I'll think, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> maybe it's as crazy as feeding a massive crowd with a sack lunch or breaking all the laws of physics and walking on water. But I think the question for all of us today is just this. What seemingly might be your next step of obedience? I say seemingly because sometimes it takes us a while to kind of narrow in on it. But are you asking that question? What might be for you, big or large, small or little, what for you might be that next step of obedience that Jesus is speaking to you about, and then starting to pray, Jesus, help me trust you enough to take it, to throw my leg over the boat and take that Next step. Well, we're going to continue to worship here in just a second. And I want to remind you that there's prayer team people here on both sides. Maybe if God's speaking to you about something and you would just benefit from someone praying with you about that. You feel that freedom while we're singing. You just come. Maybe you've got another need. It's got nothing to do with this, but something else. And you just need to be prayed for. These people are here to pray for you. But let's go to God in prayer. Lord Jesus, it's... Lord, I think there's a next step for all of us all the time. And, Lord, I just pray for those of us who know you, those of us who have bowed our knee to you as our Lord and Savior, that you will be challenging us with whatever that, might, that next step might be. And then, God, I pray that you will give us the courage to take it. And I pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.